Good morning. It's great to be back. Um, it's been a while, so it's great to be here. Um, I love you all very, very much, and uh, the church has grown a lot since the last time I've been here. I mean, we were meeting, I think, last time at the Temple Baptist Activity Center, and for those of you who were part of the beginning stages, you realize that this is a providence to be here, as I was reflecting with Paul the other night, that um, the first week I came, we were in the back room of the Providence building, and there's about 30 of us, and there was a piano, and we had as our worship leader that day, Paul Phillips. So you know if you have experienced Paul's singing that this is a providential moment to be here, um, but I love you, and you know that. Uh, as we get into Judges 15 today, um, as we begin, I just wanted to ask you a question about, um, have you ever been wronged? Has someone ever just burned you? And I'm not talking about the traffic on the way here today and the guy that cut in. I'm, I'm talking about one of those relationships with somebody where they have wronged you. An intentional, malicious hurt. And you might be still carrying that around today. The pain of that rejection, the pain of that hurt. And I think one of the issues that we'll see within the church, not Christ community, but in the church at large, is how we help people grow through their issues. And, you know, as you begin the journey of faith with Jesus, one of the first things we do is we sort of guard the borders. We sort of um, will help you to uh, just to take the external things and we'll put those in place first. So we say, hey, if you're lazy, stop being lazy. If you are struggling with alcohol, stop struggling with alcohol. If you are abusive, stop being abusive. If you're slandering, stop slandering. So there's these external things that we sort of create, and those are good, and we should put there. But then there are those internal issues that we have that we carry around every day that I feel like the church, we failed in how to helping people walk through those. Those internal monsters that sort of plague at us and go deeper and deeper and bury themselves within us. And some of you here, you might have a hurt or a wound that's been there for a really long time. I mean, there might be someone that hurt you a long, long, long time ago. And it's the thought of them, the sound of their voice, a circumstance that, that just triggers it. It brings it back to you. It makes it fresh again. And there's other you, they, you might be dealing with resentment with a very fresh wound. That there's someone that hurt you recently. And underneath all of this is the revenge that sets in. And revenge is like a sweet balm. Isn't it? It's just a sweet balm on a fresh wound. And so that's what we'll be talking about today. And the thing is with this bitterness and this resentment and this revenge is... As it continues to unfold and we continue to be comforted by that revenge, it becomes one with us. It just becomes part of who we are. It becomes part of our story. And so what we'll do is we continue to reverse back to that revenge and it becomes our rock for our hurt. It becomes the thing that we cling to. That, oh, they're going to get it. Oh, the time's coming. 
I'm going to give it to them. And what this does is it continues to trigger the downward spiral in our hearts to get even, to set things right, to make amends. And in a lot of ways, it's hard not to feel that, right? I mean, in our culture, it's part of our makeup. It's part of how we think in our culture. We have phrases. I'm not going to go down without a what? Fight. How are you going to let them do that to you? Don't get sad. Get what? Even. Get even. Give it to them. And that's just part of our culture. And so as we jump into Judges today, uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. And that's, you know, when we read the passage, I hear a couple laughs and people are thinking, wow, Judges, you know, how are you going to preach this? Um, because let's face it, Judges is not our usual daily reading. Um, the book itself is pretty stinking depressive. And it gets more depressive as you read it. And by the time you get done reading, you're just saying, hey, can I get a hug? Can I get a hug? In Judges, Paul hit on this a little bit. Israel was chosen to be the beacon of light in this world. To be a city set on a hill, and it wasn't. And it talks about how they don't have a king, but the continuing theme through the book of Judges is everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. We've got like uh, ancient Near Eastern Las Vegas going on here. And that's where Samson enters the picture. And we have this weird relationship with Samson as the church because we've, we're like still like in the first week of dating with Samson for like 2,000 years. And what I mean by that is in the first week of dating, you know, they basically walk on water, right? I mean, they're perfect. No flaws. You can marry him at the end of that week. Well, Samson, we've kind of latched on to the beautiful parts of who he is. He's like 6'5", 240, six-pack, and um, he's strong. He, he ends up on coffee mugs and T-shirts. And um, we see this young prospect with a lot of potential who's going first in our fantasy drafts. But we, we forget about the dark skeletons in the closet with this man. And as we open in to this section, we're going to get in. So let's do that. Judges 15. I'll read in verse 1. After some days, at the time of wheat harvest... Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And let's just stop there real quick because uh, this is part of the culture of the day. You would come, you would bring a goat, and you, it was mainly for the father than for the wife-to-be. And so we should recognize that for any men here who are thinking about grabbing young goats for their wives after the service. I'd stick with the flowers or the chocolates. Just my thoughts reading on and he said i will go into my wife in the chamber but her father would not allow him to go in and her father said i really thought you utterly hated her so i gave her to your companion is not her younger sister more beautiful than she please take her instead and samson said to them this time i shall be innocent in regard to the philistines when i did them harm so we see this weird play between the father and Samson. It's kind of like a bachelor meets Springer type of situation. There's no roses and no mullets, but there's 
a lot of friction and there is, wait a second, you came for her, but I gave her to your buddy. And the Hebrew here is even more explicit when it says companion. Uh, it is actually, in the Hebrew, it's saying his best friend. So this is like wife leaving for the best man at the wedding, ancient Near Eastern style. And so you can imagine the hurt that's setting in as Samson's dealing with his father, who's basically a step away from a uh, rusty old youth car salesman. Hey, why don't you take her younger sister? It's like the car's left the lot that you wanted, but hey, there's this other beautiful one that I got setting over here just for you. So Samson, at this point, feels the rage, and he's wronged, and he's hurt. But who does he take it out on, is the question. Not the father, but the Philistines. Now, there's some issues throughout the book of Judges where they are battling against the Philistines. But here in this section, it's very clear to point out that Samson is dealing with the father. And his hurt and rage are taken out on others. And so this is the first point that we see is revenge always hurts bystanders. See, in our American culture, we say to you that your issues are what? Your issues. That if you have an issue, you know, you need to go see someone with that if you can't take care of it. But at the end of the day, it's just your issue. It's just what you deal with. And this section here is saying that that's just not true. All our issues, all our pain, all our frustrations, all our revenge affects everyone around us. You know, we'll just say, oh, yeah, it's just, I'm just having a bad day. But, you know, like I do, like when someone's having a bad day, you don't want to be around them. And revenge will just hurt others. And we'll hurt our friends. We'll hurt our family. We'll hurt our coworkers. And they will just be the instruments for, through whom we take out our frustrations. And, I, you know, one clear place I get to see this a lot, I have a lot of frustrations with seminary. Seminary is a great place to be, but Paul could tell you this, that there is a ton of work, a ton of stress, a ton of, oh, gosh, what do I have to do now? And Rachel and I went out of town one time, and we were visiting family, and we came back. And when I got back, it was straight into, oh, gosh, i got to get this done for the next week, and this has got to get done, i got to get done. And so what I do, okay, I'm going to the coffee shop. Get away, de-plug, all alone, all there, all day. And Rachel's, you know, great she was. We got home. We didn't have any groceries. She went to the store to get groceries. And I'm sitting there, and there's a spot that I always sit in. It's right next to the window. Parking lot's right there. And I'm sitting there studying. And Rachel, being the wise and sharp wife she is, knowing that I might try to avoid her call, pulls right in the front and is looking right at me and calls my phone. So I can't do this number Hey, babe. Oh, I need some help with groceries. What, what do you mean you need help with groceries? I'm busy. And I did say to her, I said, last time I checked, you had two legs and two arms. I think you can handle it. Yeah. So, so, not only did she experience my frustration, but I experienced the doghouse. So, there you go. But it's not our issues only. Our issues will always affect those around us. 
And in what ways has your revenge, your bitterness, your resentment of someone else affected your relationships with those closest to you? Because let's face it, the closest to us are the ones that are going to get it the most, right? They love us unconditionally. And because we know that, they will always be there to take our junk. And that's what we do. We give it to them. How does your hurt hurt? How does your hurt hurt? How does your wallowing in your own bitterness, revenge, and resentment affect all your relationships around you? It's like if I asked your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, what would they say about you? <laughs> they might say you're a really nice person if you're lucky, but they definitely would say, don't ever bring up this person, that issue, this circumstance, because they know what it creates. And that's the thing with our issues. They're all interconnected. And there may be people in your life, as you hear this, that you need to ask forgiveness. You need to go to them and say, hey, I am sorry that I've been dumping all of my stuff on you. And this is the weight of revenge. This is the problem that it hurts others. Let's read on. Verse 4. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches. He turned them tail to tail, put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Um, are there anyone in here who's like, they're people watchers. They love to just sit back in a dark corner and just watch all that's happening. Anyone like that? Well, Rachel and I love to watch people, particularly at the airport. It's just the funnest place. Um, and one time I was catching a plane, uh, I think from Houston, but I had to go through Atlanta. And has anyone ever flown into Atlanta? Yeah, like, they don't ever have a perfect day. Like, I mean, hell's going to freeze over before they have a perfect day of flights. So it is just bad. Um, and we... I flew into Atlanta, and the plane that I was supposed to fly was, was broken. There was something wrong with it. And uh, during that, we, we were sitting there, and they came over the announcement and said, I'm sorry, your flight's been canceled. Um, you need to report to the desk. And y if you've ever been there when that happens, there's that one guy who just loses it. Like, loses it. Like, I can't repeat everything he said. Um, but it just goes bad. And... You're sitting there watching him, and you're thinking as you're watching this guy, does he have any idea what's happening right now? Like, if I played him back a video of how he reacted, what would he say? And that's essentially what's happening with Samson. You're sitting there in this village of the Philistines, and you're looking out your window, and you're like, are those two foxes tied together, running tail to tail through the grain? And you can almost see the deliberateness of Samson here, right? I mean, I don't know if you've tried to catch a fox recently. I mean, you might be into that. But uh, foxes are pretty quick. So this is a long, meticulous process of intentionality to say, you know, it's not like, you know, somebody hit him at a bar and they turned around and sucker punched him. This is a malicious attempt to create harm, to take out his hurt. And that's what he's doing here. Exodus 22.6 even says, if you cause uh, 
you burn people's grain, if you set fire, if, if something happens, you are responsible. So Samson here shows you his first step of the dark skeletons. He knows the law. He knows who he should be, but yet he doesn't. And you can see here the complete and utter devastation of it all, too. I mean, he's not only setting fire to the grain that's on the uh, stem still, he, he's even setting fire to the grain that they've already plucked. It's just sitting over there. And here's the point that you're going to see is that revenge will always escalate as we read on. Verse 6, then the Philistines said, who has done this? Um, I don't even think we have to translate that, but it's more like, who's the dead man that's going to pay? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion, his best friend. And the Philistines came and they burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. How noble. And he struck them with hip and thigh with a great blow and went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. We see this downward spiral that Samson causes. This is what they did to me. So now we're going to do this to them. And then Samson now responds and says, oh, well, now that you did this, I'm going to do this. And this is the problem with revenge, is revenge will always escalate. Revenge just doesn't stop where it is. It continues to perpetually fall down and down and down into the recesses of our hearts. And you see this a lot in different avenues of life that um, in sports. I've never seen an outright bench-clearing brawl start just naturally. It's usually, you know, someone's, you know, a, a game, a basketball game. Someone shoots, they score, and on the way down, they're taunting a little bit. Oh, did you see that? Did you see that? And then next time down the court, what happens? A hard foul, but still within the game. And then what happens next time down? Malicious, intentional, flagrant. Bench is clear, and there you have it. And then sometimes players end up in the stands, but that's neither here nor there. Um, you see it in baseball. The tradition now, it's a tradition, quote-unquote, that if the pitcher hits one of your guys, that next time that that pitcher comes out, he's supposed to what? Hit their player. And what happens? He hits their player, he charges the mound, it becomes in sort of a quasi-M&A fight, bench is clear. And what? Revenge always escalates. And for those who aren't sports people, look at the story of Romeo and Juliet. We have Romeo and Juliet. Who are the families? Capulets? Montagues? Ninth grade Aegis, I love you. Good job. Capulets and Montagues. Heated rivalry, right? The two aren't allowed to be together. Why? Old William never tells us. Old William basically says there was a small thing never gets into what could cause such a deep seated resentment and that's the thing with revenge if it goes unchecked it will always escalate and that's what we see here in this story and samson says to them hey i'm only doing to them what they did to me i'm only doing to them what they did to me and you see this revengeful heart you see this revengeful heart. Where 
in your life are you saying this? Are you saying, I am only doing to them what they did to me? And as that buries itself down, it shows up in our resentment, our ridicule, our slander, our criticism of them, and even our just flat out ignoring them. And it just continues to grow and fester. And part of this, I think, when we get to this point where we retaliate, when we take our revenge out on them, I think we're thinking, God's just not doing his job. That I need to step in, I need to bring some justice to this situation. And we go into self-preservation mode. That we've been wrong, so I need to step up for myself. I need to set things right. And you can see this in small ways to very big ways. Small ways being you're driving along in traffic, a guy cuts you off, and then he proceeds to look at you and yell at you, and then you yell back. And it's this yell between two cars where neither can hear each other. Um, and I've been there. I've been there. So I know. My wife looked at me and laughed. So you have these small areas where you see this resentment and revenge play out. But then you see in large ways, like the person that you live with, your spouse. They didn't do this. So I'm not going to do this. They didn't do this thing that I've asked them to do over and over and over and over again. Like put a bag in the trash when you take out the other. I, I don't know where I get that. They don't do this, so I don't do this. And because they're not doing this, I'm going to do this. And see, this perpetual cycle of revenge keeps playing itself out in our lives. This circular just sense of revenge against each other. And revenge keeps escalating and it gets worse and worse and worse. And so where in your life do you see this playing out? Where's your hurt caused you to go? I'm only going to do to them what they've done to me. We are going to jump ahead a little bit. Verse 14. At this point, the people of Judah have heard about Samson's craziness and they've come to bind him because he has been in such complete rebellion uh, that uh, he, they're going to bind him and take him to the Philistines. And so we're going to pick up in verse 14 where it says this. Now, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire. And his bonds melted off in his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. And he put out his hand and took it. And with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. Kind of crazy where the story starts to where we are now. We have Samson, a father, and a goat. And now we have Samson, a thousand dead men, and a jawbone. And the author here is wanting to put a subtle little story into Samson's rebellion as well. Samson, I don't know if you know, is a Nazarite. He's taking the Nazarite vow. So he can't cut his hair, so that's why he's got the beautiful hair that you see in all the pictures. Uh, it's kind of like a head and shoulders, you know, perm. Um, and 
Samson is taking this vow, and one of the vows that you cannot do uh, is you cannot touch a corpse as a Nazarite. And the author here is making a very interesting statement when he says that he found a fresh jawbone. That means the revenge kicked up, and he reached for the first thing he saw. And it caused him, in that moment of rebellion, to go against his vow. And this is what happens, is revenge will consume us if left unchecked. We've seen the retaliation, and now it's to the point where he is in complete disobedience. He's in complete rebellion. He's willing to do whatever it takes to set things right. And, you know, this is where we get to talking about our own jawbone. What is your instrument that you use to cut down, to strike? And, you know, I know this from personal experience. It's not like I read this in a book. I had a friend who we were close and come to find out later down the road that they had said some pretty slandering things about me to others without insufficient cause. And I was hurt. And you know what I did? I picked up the jawbone. And not only did I pick it up, but I would lay in bed at night sharpening that thing. I just lay there. Next time I see him, oh, he's going to get it. I'm just going to say it in such a, such a fine-tuned way that it's still going to be Jesus-esque, but he's going to get what's coming to him. And so that's what we do. We are people who will be just consumed at times with this revenge. That we'd lay in bed at night thinking about it, pondering it. How are we going to get him next time? How are we going to get him next time? And that's what it does. It just consumes us. Now, there are many types of jawbones that we take on. We've got like antique jawbones that we've had for a long, a long time from old wounds. They're oldies but goodies that we, we continue to revert back to. We've got specialized jawbones for like special situations and special circumstances. We've got co-worker jawbones. There, there's people we work with and I've got this jawbone that I use just for this soul. We've got spousal jawbones that we, you know, we bust out time to time. We don't, you know, keep them around too long or else we're going to get in a whole lot of trouble. And then, man, when Crispin time and everything comes around, you've got like family reunion jawbones. And that's like everybody walking around with jawbone holsters. We've got the thing like right on the hip. It's like, all right, who's ready? Ready to go. What's your jawbone? What's your jawbone? What, what do you use to seek your own revenge? Be careful. Be careful because this is one of those internal issues that if left unchecked will consume you. It'll consume you. Let's pick up in Romans 12. Turn with me to Romans 12. 
Paul is writing in Romans to a mix of Jew-Gentile groups trying to mix together. And if you lived in that day, you would know how difficult that is. So there's a lot of issues that you would have with people and trying to live out the Christian faith. A lot of jawbones may be being thrown around there. I'm going to pick up in verse 14 of chapter 12. And the apostle said this, verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I'll read down a little bit to verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Key verse, do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. So what's Paul saying here? Paul's saying here, not only are we to lay down our jawbone, not only are we to forgive them, as hard as that is, but as God's people, we're to bless them. And what does it mean to bless them? To bless someone is to wish God's best for their life. And I know that that sounds difficult. For some of you who've probably been dealing with a revenge resentment for a long time. Tyler, I get the jawbone. I get it. I know I shouldn't. I, you know, I'm going to leave these doors today and I'm going to forgive that person. But if something happened to them and I didn't do it, I'd be okay with it. And Paul's saying here, I knew you were going to do that, and I'm not going to let you. He's saying, bless those. Wish God's best for your enemy. Wish God's best for those who persecute you. And this is part of what it means to be the Jesus people, that we are people of blessing in this world. To those who have wronged us, that we would extend and say, I love you, and I wish God's best for you. Now, why is it the jawbone? Why do we grab for the jawbone? I I wrote down three. There might be more. The first one I thought of is we have embraced the lie of the enlightenment God. We've, We've embraced the lie that God's upstairs. He's in heaven. He's doing his thing. And we're downstairs and we're just kind of left to kind of carve up the downstairs. He's kind of put us in charge and we need to take care of everything down here. So what we'll say is, okay, well, then that means that if justice needs to be given, then I'm going to give it. I'll set things right. But we forget, and even at this time of year, what it means that God entered our world. Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus said as he was leaving, lo, I'm with you always, even what? To the end of the age. That Jesus is with us in our pain. That Jesus is with us in our frustration. That Jesus is with us through the pain and struggle that it is to wish God's best. The second part that we have is 
we've embraced the lie that God really doesn't love us. We, we'll say, you know, I'm on the team, but not really sure why. And maybe we would say to other people, yeah, yeah, I love God. Yeah, God loves us. I know it. But deep down underneath that we've accepted that I don't know if he really is for us. I don't know if he really is going to set things right. And the last reason that we grab the jawbone is we're just self-consumed. We're just self-consumed. We're self-consumed, as Paul said the other night, glory seekers. And that somebody would wrong us, mess with our lives, backstab us, ridicule us, criticize us, ignore us, they'll get what's coming to them. We're self-consumed. And I think underneath all of that, that's the driving motive. So the question is, where do we find the strength to not pick up the jawbone? Where do we find the strength to, instead of getting our revenge, that we would bless? And I know what most of you might be thinking, as I would, coming in today, and this is the message right before New Year's, is that I would say, hey, New Year's is coming. And this year, 2010, I want you to set down the jawbone. I want you to let go of all your pains. And you know what? You might be able to do it for about as long as you do every other New Year's resolution. Because if you're like me, who I might not look like it, but I try to work out, um, and I go to the gym in January, I hate going to the gym in January. Why? Because everyone, their grandmother's in the gym. They're all taking all the, pro, you know, the stuff. They're, you know, messing with the water fountain, and it's not an instrument. And, you know, they, they're just lost. And, and they'll be there for a month, and then they'll leave. Because 8% of people actually keep their New Year's resolution. I don't know if you knew that. And 45% of them don't even make it out of January. And so I know how easy it could be to say, this year, I'm doing it. I haven't done it 20 years before, but I'm doing it this year, Tyler. And I just don't think that's going to be a sufficient enough strength. So where do we get the strength? Well, I think that we have to look at the story of Judges as a microcosm of the greater story that God's telling us. That there is a greater Samson that came. There's a greater Samson that we worship. And not a Samson who offered up a goat to the father for his bride. But a Samson who offered up his own body to the father for his bride. One who saw the corruption, pain, and resentment of this world. And did not grab the jawbone. But he went to the cross. He bore the shame. He despised it for the joy set before him. You think about it, as he was hanging there on the cross, and as the people were ridiculing him, mocking him, chastising him, spitting on him, show yourself to be the son of God. Now, I know I don't want to say this as a sacrilegious thing, but just put yourself in his shoes for just a second with the power, with the glory, and you're being criticized like that. I mean, my temptation would be like, all right, let's do this. You really want to, you mess with the bull, you get the horns. But as he's on the cross, he says nothing except one thing. Father, forgive them. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Bless them. And, and then as Jesus is the greater Samson, he does not damn them 
but he forgives them. And then in the resurrection, we become his people. We become a new humanity, a people that we were always intended to be, a people of forgiving and blessing. Through Jesus, the greater Samson, we have been given the power in the spirit to be the people we were always created to be in this world. People who don't strike but suffer. People who don't slander but serve. People who don't retaliate but respect. People who don't bash but bless. And we become people who lay down jawbones. People who lay down jawbones so we can be people of forgiveness and blessing in this world. Let's pray. Father, I know that if there are people in here like me, there's some serious soul searching that needs to be done. Um, People that we think about instinctively who have caused us great pain and how hard it is to put down the jawbone and how hard it is to, to take up a heart of blessing them. But we know that through your son, We have the power through your spirit and the example that you gave us on the cross to be people of forgiving and blessing. We love you in your beautiful name. Amen.